This is Jeremy Park, CEO of City Current, personally inviting you to Growth Current. Growth Current is our e-learning and online personal development platform with City Current. It's an opportunity to attend virtual events with global thought leaders, national guest speakers, and experts who can help you grow personally and professionally. It gives you access to success secrets, lessons learned, learning modules, and so much more. Subscriptions are only $8 a month, and you can do bulk subscriptions for your team. Check out growthcurrent.co to learn more. Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, the CEO of City Current, Jeremy Park. Welcome to the Changemakers podcast produced by City Current. We're in for a treat. We have with us Dr. Herb Sennett. He's known as the Encouragement Doctor. He is an author, a novelist, a speaker, a retired college professor, and retired Army Reserve chaplain as well. So, Dr. Sennett, how are you doing, sir? I couldn't be better. The fun of the Changemakers podcast is we get to know you personally. We'll talk about your books. You have a new book coming out in the fall. We'll definitely talk about that. And uh, definitely talk as well about you serving our country. Thank you for your service. That um, is one of the first things to definitely say right off the top. But give us a little background when you talk about your childhood. Go ahead and let's start with just where you grew up. I grew up in a little community just outside of Norfolk, Virginia. So I've been around military pretty much all of my life <laughs> when, you, when you get right down to it. There's an area called South Norfolk. And I graduated, I went all the way from first grade through the 12th grade, which is rather unusual for a pastor's kid because they ministers usually move around a lot. And please understand, my two brothers and my sister did not have the same opportunity that I did. Uh, I graduated from high school and my sister had just finished the ninth grade. So dad took her to Louisiana. And there I started my education at McNeese State College despite the fact that my guidance counselor in South Norfolk, when I told her, I asked her about uh, how to go about applying to colleges, because I wanted to go the same place my very best friend was going. And he had, uh, he had just been accepted to Virginia Tech. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. He and I can go together. We can both be in the uh, ROTC program. And I thought it was wonderful. Dad explained that he could not afford Virginia Tech. My grades were such that I was not going to get a scholarship. And my guidance counselor, when I told her, she laughed and said, I'm, uh, Herbert, you, 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 don't, you don't need to even try to go to college. Uh, let's see if we can um, find a good trade school for you. Maybe you can become uh, you know, something that, where you can support yourself. But you're, you're just not college material. So six college degrees later. <clears throat> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, you got the final laugh on that one. Exactly. <laughs> well, you got two doctoral degrees, uh, three master's degrees, and obviously the undergrad as well. So, yeah. <laughs> that was, it, was, it was crazy and, and, and kind of weird. However, in essence, I was doing literally a dual career. I was, I was running two careers. Now, the first one, I didn't have a whole lot of choice. I graduated in, from uh, college in 1968. So that meant whether I was 
in ROTC and graduated with a commission, or I just graduated, it didn't matter. I was going to go to Vietnam. So <laughs> that was the, the story that it was going to be. So I worked things out. I, I was commissioned a second lieutenant, and I was commissioned as an infantry officer, went to Vietnam. And when I got back, I entered the University of Memphis, where I graduated in uh, 1971. What led you to Memphis? I'm just curious. When you talk about coming back from Vietnam and saying, I'm going to go to University of Memphis, what, what pulled you to Memphis? Oh, uh, well, I, I spent three years in Louisiana and college, and my dad then moved to Arkansas. Okay. Well, I was planning to go back to McNeese State. I was planning to go back. I didn't have any plans to stay. However, as fate would have it, I met a girl. Mm. During that summer, <laughs> many of us here in Memphis can relate to that story. I think <laughs> I myself met a girl, and that's how I ended up in Memphis. <laughs> there you go. Well, my um, it, oddly enough, that was not the girl that I married, but it was enough to make me want to stay, and so I entered Arkansas State University. But the the thing of it is, is I, I came back with a total commitment. To becoming a teacher. That's really what I wanted to do. So I stayed in the Army Reserves and, and because I had that uh, six-year obligation. I had to serve two years active duty and four years as a reservist. That was required by law. So I did it and started my teaching career. However, as things began to move and uh, I decided to get out of the Army rather than stay it as a career, I ended up in seminary around 1976-77 in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's a long story, but anyway, I'm there now. Uh, I graduated and I went to become pastor of a church in Dublin, Ohio, right outside of uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, while I was there, I got recruited to come back into the Army Reserves as a chaplain, and that's when I made that decision. And eventually I ended up in West Palm Beach, Florida as a professor at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic University. And from there, it just uh, kind of has evolved over the last 35, almost 40 years, where my teaching has become more in-depth. Uh, and the thing that I enjoyed more than anything else was working with the students, helping them to dream their dreams, encouraging them in their dreams, and then watching them pursue those dreams. And so when I faced retirement, I wanted to continue doing that, but on a different level, in a different means, in a different way. One was to write novels that are good stories, but don't have a lot of uh, like blood and guts, a lot of uh, really bad language, which I understand that's the world. But my intention is that I'm always encouraging people at hey, Think of the good side of life and enjoy the living. My whole life has moved me to that because my mother, and God rest her soul, she ingrained in me that, first of all, she, she kept telling me and, and helped me to understand. She said, I've never had a boring day in my life. She said, there's too much to see and do and understand and learn. 
and she was. She was a lifelong learner. She would take classes. Uh, she earned, in August of 1971, I graduated with a master's degree from the University of Memphis. Oh, it was Memphis State University back right. then. Yeah. My diploma still says Memphis State. Right, right. <laughs> um, and she graduated with a bachelor's degree in education. We graduated together. That's and one cool. of the coolest pictures that I have uh, in my scrapbook and things is <clears throat> the picture that ran in the... Uh, um, Help me with this. The name of the new main. Well, now newspaper. it's the Commercial Appeal. I, no, it was Commercial Appeal. Commercial Appeal. They actually had an article with our picture in it that said, "Here, mother and son graduate together." That's awesome. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, I mean that was really kind of cool. It, it was a an interesting day, a, a wonderful day, and uh, it, it, so I'm looking back on that. I'm remembering my mother's influence and her optimism. I inherited a lot of that. Obviously, she taught me a lot of that. And so I just continued to do that. Both of my children, I kept telling my daughter, just go for it, whatever you want. Her problem was making up her mind on what she wanted to do. But let me tell you, she was in her 30s, and then she came to me and she, she told me, I know what I want to do. I want to go back to college. I want to get my degree, and then I want to go to law school. I want to become a lawyer. I said, what's holding you back? Yeah. <laughs> she said, money. I said, you're going to be a lawyer. Borrow it. <laughs> You'll make it back. You can pay those loans off pretty fast. What, what led you, I'm curious, at what point did you decide writing was something that you wanted to get into? When you talk about being a novelist and an author, at what point did that enter into the equation for you? Well, actually, uh, I, have, I have two other books that I've written, both of them academic books. One dealt with the relationship between uh, the, the theater arts field and especially the academic side as well as the professional side. And if you think back during the 70s and 80s, there was a huge mo movement uh, in, in churches about putting on big dramas and some churches <laughs> did better productions than Broadway could do. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes they had more money <laughs> than Broadway <laughs> producers did. And so that was a, that was a fascinating kind of uh, a dynamic that was going on. So I did some research into all of that and partially in receiving the doctor of ministry degree, I investigated that and I wrote, the only existing that I know of, I haven't seen anything else other than that, I wrote an actual theology of drama in the church. Hmm. And I based it on the extensive amount of dramatic, I mean, some powerfully dramatic stories that are in the Bible. And and, and in fact, one of my books is based on one of the stories in the Bible that I thought was one of the most dramatic uh, that, that's ever been told. And that got me thinking in those terms. So then when I uh, did my dissertation for a, a Louisiana State University, I decided to work on, an, on a playwright that very few people knew anything about. And so I've researched that man. I even went to London and spent uh, several weeks there living from open to close at the British Library 
<laughs> and, and that was that was an amazing experience. And the book that resulted from that uh, was uh, what about the man called, uh, named Nicholas Rowe, R-O-W-E. He was the second poet laureate of England. So what happened with that was that book became so popular it is in every speaking english speaking library pretty much in the world wow it was just it is the it is the go-to book now there's now a couple of books being worked on that'll replace that but that's okay <laughs> i'm not upset more work people can do the more research uh, but uh, that that was just a, a a nice little pat on the back for me for myself is saying hey look what you've done you didn't just write a book. You wrote a book that has made a contribution to the field. And I'm very proud of that. So that's where writing has been a part of almost everything. I've, I've had at least uh, a dozen, maybe more uh, articles published in journals, academic journals and things like that. A lot of, I've written a lot of book reviews that have been published in journals. And it, it's, been, it's been interesting and fun. I've enjoyed writing. As I approached my retirement in 2016, just prior to that, about four or five years prior to that, I started just writing ideas. And out of that came the first book, which is um, it's called The Reluctant General. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the one that's based on the Bible story of, of Deborah and Barak. It's more historical fiction than it is biblical story. As I firmly said it in the period 1200, 1250, I don't, I mean, who knows what the exact dates were, uh, a BC. And so we're, we're, we're talking, you know, back in the early Iron Age. Yeah. So I said it in, a, in its historical setting. I studied deeply the military tactics and the military weaponry and, you know, what was done at that time. And uh, I've had two major reviewers say that the book is accurate historically. That is, it paints the picture, the military, the fights, the, the battles that occurred, uh, the, even the conquest of, this, of the city that, that they took. Uh, it all fit within the realm of what it would have been like. How much time and effort went in? When you look at the research on that end, because I'm always amazed, you, know, you, you read a book and you go through, but then you don't realize how much time to create that. And like you said, to get down and understand the nuances and the technology and what was available then and the warfare, like how much research went in on your end, like time-wise? Time-wise, well, I have to go back because I was learning so much of this along the way. I went through seminary. I went through the doctoral studies. Uh, a lot of that time was spent on Jewish history. And not modern Jewish history, but ancient Jewish history. Uh, from, from Abraham through to the time of Christ. And there was a heavy study in all of that. Uh, plus, from a military standpoint, uh, I've been to several of the uh, uh, military schools, and despite the fact that chaplains do have their own training programs, we're still required to take the same training that all other officers are required to take. 
So I've been through the uh, advanced course training, not just for chaplains, but also for uh, infantry officer. I, I did that before. And then with the uh, Command and General Staff College, going through that course and learning some. The, the only regret I have is not um, uh, taking the time. I was just very busy with doing other things, but I never took the uh, War College coursework. Uh, I think that would have been a lot more interesting. However, I learned how to do military research. That was the cool thing about what was happening to me. And so I had all this knowledge. And so so much of it, I'd say probably two thirds of what I wrote was already coming out of knowledge that was there. The only the only thing I had to really do uh, pretty heavy reach, and I would say you're talking several months of work was the uh, uh, understanding the military, the actual milieu, or what was it like to live in the early Iron Age. And it was right on the, I said early, but I apologize. The late Iron Age, early Bronze Age. Because they were, that was right about the time that in Greece, they were discovering and figuring out how to shape weapons made of uh, bronze. They, and then later came iron, which, But still, however, if I go back to, people don't realize the amount of hard work that goes into yeah. crafting. And like you said, it's not just the time span, it's all the years of experience before that that led to the ability to then connect those dots and even do the research in a correct way. What, switching over to the classroom, because like you said, 40 years of teaching in the classroom, you, I know on your end, focused a lot around encouragement, forgiveness, goal setting. Give us a couple of the major, when you talk about you as a classroom professor, what were some of the things that you wanted to instill in terms of traits and skill sets in your students so that they ultimately could achieve success? Wow. An interesting question. I'm not sure I had a clear understanding at the beginning. <laughs> sure. Well, most probably don't. You don't realize until like hindsight where it's like, oh, those are the things that I was really trying to teach the kids and the students. I wish, I wish I could say I knew exactly what I was doing when I walked into my first classroom. <laughs> but, but, but I really didn't. I'm sure the students knew that. Uh, however, I had, a, I had a feel for at listening, listening and learning from the students. And a, a lot of times they told me what I needed to be doing. Now, they didn't know that. I just would listen, I would watch, I would learn from what was going on. And then I would uh, use a lot of Socratic type teaching. I would ask questions. I would elicit answers. And I would, I would crack jokes. I would come up with something funny to say, even in times when I'm getting kind of really serious. And I always try to find ways to break it up some and have them laughing. And so I got them to the point where they would have to pay attention because they didn't want to miss the next joke. <laughs> and, and from that standpoint, I, I think a, a lot of what I was trying to do was help them to listen to me. And then I would always talk to them uh, between classes, after classes. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot better. I tell people the day I walked onto the campus at um, 
uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of the of the school. Uh, it's a college over across the river from Memphis, uh, a community college. And anyway, uh, I okay, I, I taught one semester there at night while I was teaching in high school. So I, I knew I was at home teaching students, <laughs> all of whom pretty much wanted to be there. That 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 just made a huge difference. I had the opportunity at Broward College uh, to actually teach their advanced placement college credit speech communication course uh, that they offered to high school students that needed somebody to help them out. I was at Palm Beach State. I would go up there and teach that class on the, during the times that I was not teaching uh, here in West Palm Beach. And, and what an experience, what an experience. That made me love teaching. So I, I enjoyed doing that. I realized there are high school students out there who really are looking forward to the future, who are wanting to plan carefully for it. And I helped those. One story I love telling without, I think, giving away anything, but this, uh, I found out this young lady was going to be graduating valedictorian of, her high, of the high school uh, down, down in Broward County. So I asked her one day, I says, uh, what are your plans? And she said, and this is literally just what she said, well, I guess I'll just go to University of Florida. I've already gotten a scholarship from them. I said, well, that sounds pretty good. You don't sound like you're all that excited. She said, well, no, no, it's a, this is a wonderful opportunity. I, and my mom and dad won't have to pay for anything. And uh, it's, it's a great uh, place to go to school. And I looked at her and I said, tell me, if money was no object, if you could go to any university in the world that you would want to go to, what would it be? She looked at me and then she kind of smiled and she said, I would give anything to study pre-med at Stanford University in California. I said, so what's stopping you? And she said, you know, they, they have thousands and thousands of people vying to get in. I said, you're the top of your class. I know, but that these students are from all over the world. Who's going to look at, a, at somebody from down in Broward County, Florida, going to a small high school down here? I mean, who cares? I said, what's holding you back? She said, I, I don't know what that. I said, what's holding you back? She said, I guess. I said, how bad do you want to go? She said, I'm not really sure. I said, when you make up your mind, let me know and I'll help you fill out the application. And if you need the cash, I'll pay for the, the application fee. She said, no, no, that's not, not talk. She said, do you think I really should do that? <laughs> <laughs> the fascinating thing to me is she couldn't believe that she was actually considering doing it. And I think it's because so many people hear lies other people say and then start thinking it's the truth because they don't know any better. Yeah. And she applied. And of course, this, I wouldn't be telling you the story except that she not only got accepted, 
but she was given a full scholarship. Wow. To include room and board. Wow. All her mom and dad needed to do was to pay her way out and back for vacations <laughs> and things. And she uh, finished there uh, four years later. And uh, then, and I, I, I'm sitting here and wondering, uh, think, trying to think. Uh, she got a, she got an opportunity with full fellowship and backing um, of a couple of organizations that uh, helped to put her through medical school. And so here's a girl who just uh, is a person who it never dawned on them that maybe it's okay if I do. Well, and I think many times you you do, you take on all these external factors and you internalize them. And in many cases, you underestimate the power of a third party, someone who doesn't have any skin in the game other than a relationship that says, I believe in you. Yes. And not only do I believe in you and think you can do it, like you said, what's holding you back? Forcing the hand a little bit and then making them realize, wait a second, you're right. And in reality, you have nothing to lose. Go for your dream, take the chance. But Having somebody come in and say, you know what, you have the talent. I think that's a part for us as a society is we need more people to step in and say, we believe in you. Because unfortunately, we live in a world where negative energy is a norm. And so many kids are internalizing that and they don't have a positive. And to your point, not only that, but forcing the reflection of what do you really want? Where do you want to go? Making them answer those questions themselves and then take ownership to take action. Um, absolutely. I, I, I was impressed that she decided to do that. Just go ahead and do it because her mind was beginning to click. I could not tell what she was thinking, obviously, but I could tell she was really thinking about that. And I didn't even realize, Oh no, no, no. I take that back. My memory just slipped me. She asked me before that conversation was over, she said, would you be willing to write a recommendation for me to help me from that standpoint? And I said, absolutely. I said, it might mean something to them to have a recommendation with somebody with PhD behind their name. <laughs> But that's where the power of relationships, right? The power of relationships to put forth the energy and the confidence and the belief and the power of the relationship to then carry that forward to open those doors. What, you know, on that same thread, what advice would you give high school or college students? I mean, we're, we're, you know, looking at graduations, albeit a little different now through technology, but when you look at taking the next step in a young person's career, either going to college or entering the workforce, what advice would you give them? The first thing I would ask is, what do you want to do? Because only about 10, maybe 12% of careers out there require further education. And then there's another 10, maybe 15% of all of the careers out there that may need, may not need college, but may need some beyond high school training. Um, I had a student ask me, he said, then this was, okay, this was 2002, I think it was. And he, he said, where, 
where should I go to get training? He said, I want to, I want to work with computers. I want, I want to learn how to take them apart and put them back together. And, and, and he said, what college should I go to? I said, well, I go to college at all. He said, you can go down here. <laughs> we, we have a, we have a, a community college right here in town that has an excellent program where you can either earn an AB, I mean an AS, an Associate of Science, and get all the training you need to work on computers and put them back together. And then all you need to do after that is to just keep up with the changes. And I didn't realize how much changes would happen in a short period of time. But the question is never, what should I do? The question always is, what do I want to do? And when you ask that question, the answers to anything after that flows evenly. Now, we also have, we have a problem with parents. Parents who absolutely don't want to talk about anything but their kid going to college. And then that, that kid's got to deal with that. And that's the most important thing for them. I did have an, a kid told me, so I want to be here. I think I should. I just don't have what it takes because I don't believe in what I'm, what I'm doing. I said, well, what do you want to do? He told me what he wanted to do. I said, oh, well, okay. Uh, suck it up. Stick it out another three years. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll have the kind of training that you need to do that for real. I, I said, if you quit, you're not ever going to see that because yeah. it's something you need a college education for. I mean, even when a student doesn't want, if they are pursuing their dream, like you don't need to go to college to become an actor. However, this one young lady that came to college, one of my students, she was, she went to college. She came to college. She wanted to study theater. Her mom and dad said to her, you'd study whatever you want to but you must go to college. So she weighed, and I, I, I mentioned to her, I said, don't worry about it. You can get some good training here, but everything you really need to do, need to know about being an actor on Broadway, which is what she wanted to do. I said, you'll get that once you get out. And you get into, the, into that milieu, once you get opportunity to train with the people who, are the in people to study under at the particular yeah. time. And boy, over years, having studied theater history, <laughs> I mean, over the years, it changes about every 10, 15 to 20 years. It's a different person. <laughs> I said, you can do that when you get there. And uh, then uh, I had another I had a colleague, uh, he and I both teaching theater. Uh, he worked with her a lot on helping her to perfect her dancing and her acting skills. Now, I was more the theoretician, historian type. Um, I did teach acting. I didn't like it all that much, but I did it. But he, um, he took her under his wing, encouraged her, trained her. And then when he heard about that, uh, uh, there was a, a remember, uh, I guess back in the 90s, Yes, it was, hey, wait a minute, what am I talking about? This was back in the early 90s. 
the touring company of cats came down. South Florida did West Palm, Broward uh, Performing Arts Center, then down to Miami. When they got down to Miami, they were they were going to be there over a weekend. And so the producers in New York City flew down to join the troupe, and they had auditions, open auditions for anyone who wanted to join the um, cast of Cats as a as a uh, an intern. Anyway, he and I both encouraged. Her. I said, "Go down." She she said, "There'll be a thousand kids there, all more talented than I am." <laughs> My colleague said, "You won't find too many more <laughs> talented than you are." I mean, now he had worked with her with dancing and acting, and she he knew more of that. Now, and I said, "Go for your dream, hon. Just just go." You'll, I will tell you this, if you don't get chosen and you, you do go and you don't get chosen, you will never regret not having gone. Yep. And so she went and the only female chosen out of the almost 1800 kids who showed up was her. Yep. And she graduated that, that spring and they sent her a ticket to hop a plane out of Miami. She flew to Paris where she joined the uh, European touring group of uh, cats. Wow. To perform. And she did that for a number of years. I can't remember exactly, but uh, she, she actually performed on Broadway uh, in, in that. And she did several other shows uh, before she finally, you know, Dancing on Broadway has a career of about maybe 15 years. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a short window for sure. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's not a big but, window. But, you know, to go after her dream and to your point to not have any regrets. But once again, you know, somebody else encouraging her to go and, and chase those dreams. I think many of us, especially early on when you're younger, you need that encouragement from somebody else, whether that's a coach, a mentor, a professor, someone who just believes in you. And I think once again, many times we underestimate the power we have over someone else by just encouraging them to go after their dreams. I'm curious, we'll talk about your book coming up in just one second, but I'm curious, how did serving our country and, and, and going to war in Vietnam, how did that change you? If, if, I, if I was not considered grown up before I left, I certainly was grown up when I came home. And my wife, at the time I had only been married, well, at the time I left, we had only been married, I think about 15 months. Uh, so we, 16 months maybe, I think it was. Um, we got married in December before we graduated in May of 68. She's, she saw, she said there was something really different about me. But she didn't complain. I, I found that fascinating, and she never mentioned it again. However, last December, we celebrated 52 years together. Hello. <laughs> so whatever it was that changed, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, I did come, I did, it changed me from once. I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I came back and on my website, 
herbsinit.com. There's a link where you can see a video that I put together. I put together the footage, uh, Super 8 movie film, as well as pictures. I edited it all together. I narrated. It was my story of going to Vietnam. But I knew that what I wanted to do was just to teach. Now, my toughest student has been my grandson. And I think that there are sometimes we need to learn that we might not be their best teacher. And, and there were some students that I never reached, but I didn't take it personally. Sometimes there can be no connection. But when you do find a mentor, that would be my advice to anyone that might be listening. If you see someone that you believe you can connect with and, and can learn from, ask. I, I don't know of a, I've never met a single businessman or professional in my 40 years of teaching and being a part of community, several communities, now being a part of West Palm Beach community for 35 years. I don't, I can't think of a single person I have met that if a, if a young person just starting out came and said, I, I really would like to learn what you're doing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Would you say, no, you can't? I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, if nothing more than spending an hour a week of your time, just kind of sitting down and talking, maybe showing them some of the things that you do, man, that is the, the greatest gift you can be given is to be looked upon as someone other people want to learn from. And they want to model their lives after you. My dad, just before he died in 78, told me that his, his one regret about the country as it stood, and think back about 1978, <laughs> he was concerned because in his ideas, there were, there were no national leaders for children, for teenagers, to look upon as leaders. And, and I, I think he was close to right. I, I, that was a diff, those were difficult years. Wow. And, and they, so that, that's what I say is that was, I saw that in him and that's when I just, I just, just, I doubled down on my determination that, whether I touch anybody or not, I'm going to make sure everything that I do and everything that I say that I work at making sure that I was giving a good example to the, my students and to people around me. Carry that forward because I mentioned uh, at the onset, you do have a book coming out, a new book, the fall of 2020 of this year. And I know you said you're still kind of changing and, and looking at the title, but right now, Take a Chance on Being Happy yeah. is, is the working title. So talk about kind of carrying that message forward of trying to be a light through the darkness, trying to help people understand um, happiness and, and taking a chance on being happy. Talk about this book. Well, I have read, no, let me start at another place because it, that came after this. It's been probably about 20, maybe 25 years ago. I looked at my wife and I said, 
you know, I I think I'm happy. <laughs> I just I said I, I I couldn't I couldn't have asked for a better person to marry. I said, although my children are frustrating at times, I, I couldn't have asked for two better kids. Oh, I mean, amazing. By the way, one is an attorney. The other is a genius businessman. Um, at 43, 44, however old he is, I can't remember. <laughs> he's, he's got, he makes more money than I ever dreamed of making in a lifetime. He's just, he can sell anything. I, I'm, I'm stunned. Anyway, let me continue. <laughs> and so I, I said, there's nothing's wrong in my life. There's, there's nothing I can complain about. Yeah, there are some buggy issues at, at work, at school. You know, I mean, there are things that always there's things that happen. I've done a few things I've been embarrassed over. Some things I've been ashamed of, some things I've said, but I've tried to learn from that experience and then move on. But I realized I'm happy. And probably about uh, five, six years ago, I just just out of nowhere, I decided I want to look and see what people say about happiness. What is that? What is it all about? So I started buying and reading these books on happiness. And they had a lot of good things to say. But in the end, I felt empty. They didn't seem to so hold that thought. I'm going to tell you another story, and it's going to lead right in back into this. The first sermon I ever preached, done, got in the car, we're headed home. And I said, so, sweetheart, <laughs> to this woman who is my best friend. <laughs> so, um, what'd you think? And she said, Give a good speech. And I said, okay. So what's wrong? <laughs> she said, why does something have to be a thought? I said, no, because come on. We've been together too long. Come on, give me the honest answer, right? <laughs> right. I can tell Tony your boys, okay, tell me what's wrong. She said, Well, you got to the point where I expected you to say. So, but you didn't. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, there was no so what? She said, you had so a in other words, you, you got them there, but you didn't give them the, the final yeah. conclusion. There was no resolution. There was no learning lesson. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I didn't use the story, but I've used that phrase. And, and, and I taught all, I taught for many years, I taught the introduction to speech class that everybody hates to take when they go to college. <laughs> it's doing that one. Ah, I got to take that. But uh, I would tell them, don't get up in front of a group of people and spout a bunch of stuff without a good so what section. I said, people are eager to learn. But they want to know they sometimes they can't draw the lines. They can't put these two ideas together. What you have to do is 
You have to give them that. You don't have to explain a whole lot, but just offer them solutions, ideas, thoughts, something that they can go, ah. So that's a way to look at it. When you do that, then you've gotten your message across. So this book is probably 30% ideas and thoughts and research and all this kind of stuff. And almost 70% of it is practical applications. That's awesome. Thoughts and ideas. And they're given, and I offer them in um, types of things. So there's probably, I think, about eight or nine chapters of different ways of approaching, okay, this is the kind of stuff I like. These are some good ideas. I like this. Can you read the chat? No, I don't like any of the, those. Those don't connect. And, and that's what I'm offering to people are hopefully ways that they can connect themselves to the world around them in such a way that they begin to see the absolute beauty. What an amazing blessing it is to be alive and to see the world around us and all the opportunities I've had. Incredible teacher at Arkansas State that helped me to appreciate and understand what it means to study theater. Professor at University of Memphis, Memphis State at the time, I mean, I think back on him, he instilled in me a love for history. And then I, I can just start naming you people all through the years that have come into my life and then out of my life, so to speak. And, and that's where I get real joy is looking back over the years. And I want to, I just want, well, let me put it this way. After retiring in 2016, May 15th, 2016, I retired my last paycheck <laughs> from <laughs> college. And I started looking for something else to do. Uh, I thought my novels, but it really didn't quite get, I enjoy writing those. It's fun. And I've got several more I'm working on. <laughs> and I'm going to do those. But I felt there was something else I needed to be doing. And that's when I came up with this idea of going on podcasts, television and radio programs and, and stuff like that, and talk about being the encouragement doctor. That is, I want to share my enthusiasm for life with as many people as I possibly can. Because as far as I know, nobody's come back to tell me about <laughs> my dress. I mean, this probably is the only shot we get. Yep. I mean, even as a devoted Christian, a Baptist, and I have my con very conservative beliefs about re religion and theology, but just speaking in general terms, my gosh, somebody asked me one time, well, what if there really is no God and everything you believe in is nothing? I said, then <laughs> I will can say I will have enjoyed the ride. And I think that's as important as anything else. What sustains me also is my belief that there is something more. So I always turn the question 
back around. Okay, what if you're wrong and I'm right? There's <laughs> 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 a little way of... Touche. <laughs> <laughs> One guy said, I guess I would go, oops. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not, not, not quite the way it works, but that's okay. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta believe what you gotta believe. I, I know. And I don't, and, and I try to approach things in that exact way is look, life is too short to be miserable. I say, enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Have, have fun, accomplish something, be connected with something bigger than you are. That's what makes humans different from any other animal. We, we see way beyond and we understand. I can plan for 30 years from now. However, I am ready, prepared to die. Whatever happens to me is gonna be wonderful. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, because I'm going to enjoy the ride, I'm going to enjoy the appeal, and 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 pursuing your dream. And and I would say, as far as change maker is concerned, I don't know if I could ever. I can't change anyone. All I can do is show you someone who is absolutely contented, full of joy, happy with the way things are with me. I don't like the coronavirus. So I like me better than the coronavirus. So I'm gonna stay in and use my mask and just make sure I don't get infected. And besides, I'm one of those old people that you're trying to protect. Well, anyway. We won't get into that subject. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Too do this. Let's, uh, we always wrap up with some lightning round, which are just short questions, yes, short sir. answers, just as a fun way to wrap up. And then we'll uh, provide your contact information so everybody can get in touch with you and keep this conversation going. But what's a recent book you've read? The most recent book I've read. Okay. Here's going to be a, this is going to be a tough one for you. But the book I've been reading for the past month, not quite done yet, is the Bible. Before that, I finished uh, four Perry Mason novels. I don't, I know they're old. I know they're hackneyed, but they are such fun reading. <laughs> and my two other novels, by the way, are two murder mysteries. <laughs> right in that uh, tradition of Perry Mason. In fact, my hero's name is Perry Savant. So, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Uh, hey, you got to have the shameless promo. So that's part of this. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't mind. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's part of the fun I have. Do things. I do things I enjoy doing, not just things. Of, was it my mother used to say? She says, Herb, you can either have to do something or you can get to do something. I, I've read that a lot recently in memes and stuff yeah, on social yeah. media, but that really is, that really is true. I don't have to do anything. I get to do so much and wow, I'm excited about it. And I'm thrilled about it. I'm, get, I'm getting here sitting, talking to someone I've never met yet and feel like a friend. That's well, how this works. And that's what is that's one of the things my mother used to say too. Oh, she was she, I can't I could talk 
I could talk a whole hour on just about her. She used to say to me, she'd say, Herb, remember, a friend, a, a stranger is a friend you haven't met yet. With that philosophy, you end up treating everybody yeah. in a good way. Treat them well, nice. Well, I think, too, though, people who who come at it with a similar mindset, a similar ethos, who are one curious and want to learn more about each other, who have a, a thirst for just growth and knowledge and experiences. That's part of just, you know, any two people sitting down where, you know, there's a lot of layers and it's like, let's unpack this and have some fun. And there's a genuine authentic um, desire to learn from each other. And then you get to the point where it's like, okay, you, you have a similar ethos and curiosity but then you also too have a similar desire to use that. And just like you said with the speeches, to share lessons. So in other words, you're not just talking to talk. Yes. You're talking to share experiences and lessons to make each of our lives better, but also for anyone and everyone who's listening or watching. And I think to me, that's the power of the connectivity of just wanting to make the world better wanting to create change. And like you said, you can't force anyone to change, but you can role model that and what that looks like. And you can also too role model with your thoughts, your actions, but just your desire to come at everything with this genuine care for life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what it's all about. Got another question there? Yes. What do you like to do to relax? I have, I have two things that I do to relax. It just depends on the mood I'm in at the time. One is to read. And another is to watch uh, TV. Um, I, I'm a writer I, and I'm a storyteller, as you probably could tell. <laughs> and, and I love watching good stories. What's a favorite quote? Something that inspires you? This may sound weird, but... After listening to me, I think for this hour or so, I think you might, it might make sense. I have, I have been enraptured by the Nike commercial, just do it. Three simple words that challenged me and continues to challenge me. It's, it's so simple, it's, it's pathetic. And they've almost made it into, it, it's all, almost turned out to be a cliche. With me, it's not. It, it's a constant challenge because my, my inward self says, hey, who cares? So that's one of the reasons why I feed that at least once a week with a couple of three hours. I watch TV, get it out of my system, then I can go do other things because I've learned to know myself. Last one is what, obviously you already have a long legacy and you're continuing to create it every single day, but what do you hope your legacy is many, many years from now? What do you hope people say about you and your career and everything you've done to make the world better? Twofold. He was a good husband or maybe a good family man. And second, he was a good teacher. If if I if I could design my which by the way I won't I won't have any say in my uh, headstone that's already decided by the army uh, 
I plan to be buried out here at the VA cemetery in Boynton Beach, uh, where, by the way, I am on call and have done uh, numerous funerals out there, mostly for World War II veterans. A couple of uh, died too early Vietnam vets and one Korean veteran. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that's, but if I couldn't do my own and I would have on it, Herb Sennett, a teacher. And that, that to me would mean everything. Well, last question as we wrap up is talk about where to go, your website, where do we go to learn more about your books, to follow you, social media, where would you direct everyone? Well, Herb Sennett spelled that way, HerbSennett.com. And I also invite you to come to the website that is birthing my new book. And it's called lovinglifefully.com. And I would appreciate it. Join the company of other people who have joined the, 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 uh, the website. I'll keep you in touch, let you know. Plus, you'll get to see some uh, snippets from the book. <laughs> along the way. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much. Herb, and you are a change maker. You are a teacher. We greatly appreciate you being on the Changemakers podcast. So thank you, sir, for all you do. And thank you. But uh, finally, may I just one last plug. If you get in here, um, if I go ahead and just do it very soon, you'll be able to watch and listen to Loving Life Fully podcast. Wouldn't that be great? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's we'll the best part it. of this. Now we get to uh, start our journey here, and then we get to carry this journey moving forward and follow you and be a part of your story moving forward. I hope so. I certainly hope so. I look forward to the journey and anybody that will go along with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com or follow us on social media using at citycurrent. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen. Now, think big, start small, and act now. Be a changemaker.